Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Savior, Jesus Christ, who equips us for life. Dear friends, back in the mid-80s, there was an iconic movie released that was really all about confidence. I don't think the, the producers or the director or even the writers really made it about confidence, but, but that's what Top Gun was. It's, it's a story about this fighter pilot, a Navy fighter pilot, whose call sign, whose nickname is Maverick, right? And the guy is oozing with confidence. In fact, the very beginning of the movie starts with him doing something kind of crazy and kind of foolish, and he lands, and he gets his backside chewed out by his boss, by his commander, who yells, your ego is writing checks, your body can't cash. That's confidence. Maverick then gets selected for the elite Top Gun school, the fighter, fighter pilot training school in California. And he goes there and his confidence serves him well as he's vying for the, the top spot in his entire class. That is until his Rio, his backseater, and his best friend Goose is killed in training. Maverick can't recover. His confidence is, is gone. After the death of his best friend, he, he can't and he won't engage in even the most basic training missions. His confidence was, was totally lost. Now, when I was a kid, I saw Top Gun. Don't worry, it was the TV version. And I wanted to be Maverick because... I mean, who wouldn't want that, the adventure and the excitement and to be the, the best at something and to know it? That's, that just sounded awesome to me as a kid. And then I needed glasses, and pff, there went my dream of being Maverick, right? Because this was back before LASIK. Well, LASIK came along, but then I found out that it didn't matter because I don't fit the height requirements to fit in a cockpit. So my dream of being Maverick was was lost. But I think in a way, we all kind of dream to be Maverick, don't we? We all want to have that, that inner strength, that complete confidence, that kind of the, a little of that devil-may-care attitude that's willing to put it all out there and lay it all on the line. Because the world says if you have that attitude and you couple it together with the strengths and the abilities God has given you, well, that's what the world calls often Success. The problem with that kind of confidence, the maverick kind of confidence that the, the world approves of and admires, well, it's easily lost. Because it's confidence in self. And what happens when you don't measure up, when you can't perform, when you fail? All the confidence is gone. And that's why God wants you and me as Christians to have, to have confidence, to have strength, but, but not, not the usual kind of confidence and strength that the world admires, but, but an unusual confidence, a confidence that, that never fails. We find that in the very first words of our text from Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is concluding his letter and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. 
and in his mighty power. See, everything that Paul is about to say after this flows out of this statement, out of this truth. And he wants us to imprint this in our hearts and in our minds, to not miss this. This is hugely important for Christians living in the world today. In fact, it's our first takeaway that the world applauds having inner strength. But God wants me to find my strength in him. Now, please don't misunderstand. God isn't saying he wants you to just be a wet noodle and have no backbone and be a pushover for everybody. That's not what he's saying. He's reminding us that when you build something on a foundation that's cracked and broken, what's going to eventually happen? It's going to implode. It's going to come crumbling down. And when you build your confidence, your, when you find your strength inside of you, well, we admitted before, didn't we, that I'm broken. It's a truth that we know. In fact, we heard Jesus speak those words so bluntly and, and convict us so clearly and thoroughly, right? That it's not all the, the stuff out there that, that gets us in trouble. It's the stuff in here, right? It's, it's out of our hearts. Out of every single human heart, that's where evil thoughts come from. And then he went on with the list, right? All of the, the sexual desires that run contrary to God's plan, to God's desire. Thoughts of, of murder, of stealing, of greed and envy and slander and arrogance. Whew. The list is long and exhaustive. And where does he say it all comes from? The human heart. The heart that every human being has. And so when you find your strength, when you build your confidence on something that is broken at its foundation, it will eventually fail. And that's why God doesn't want us to find, to build our strength internally. He wants us to find our strength somewhere that will not ever crumble on the firm foundation of Jesus, our Savior. See, that's why God wants us to, to find our strength in him and in his power. And the really cool thing is he talks about God's power in this you know, non-nebulous way. I think, I think sometimes as Christians, we, we think about God's power and we, we go, well, okay, I know. I mean, the Bible talks about how God makes the sun rise every morning, right? And, and he you know, he does all of these things. He sends the rain on the earth and, and all of this. And we go, okay, I get it. But, but sometimes we don't see it in like this supernatural way. So it's just what we're used to seeing. And we, we maybe don't think of that being God's power, God working. And so Paul says, let me, let me remind you of God's power. He used a phrase in this verse that he's used before. In fact, it's a phrase he uses on, on either end of the book of Ephesians. In his letter to these friends, he refers to God's mighty power or mighty strength. In, in, in the Greek language that Paul originally wrote it in, it's the exact same phrase. And when he wrote it back in chapter 1, he was talking about how 
not able to be compared, God's power is. He, he literally says the incomparably great power, right? He's trying to impress upon the Ephesian Christians and modern Christians, God's power is like nothing you've ever seen. Like nothing you can even imagine. It is not able to be compared by the greatest power you can dream up. The most cool marvel power. Nope, nothing. The most power, powerful transformers power. Nothing. The most powerful alien power. Nothing compared to God's power. And then he says, let me give you an example. This is what he says in chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. That power is the same as his mighty strength. There's the same phrase from Ephesians 6. It's the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. See, God's power isn't some just kind of nebulous, new age concept thing. It's not just some kind of cool idea. It's a real thing. It's what God used to, to conquer sin, to destroy the devil, to overcome even death. He rose from the dead. And he's now ruling above, over all things. And, and notice he says, not just like a step up, right? He says, think of the most powerful Powerful rulers on earth, the most powerful people, the most powerful weapons, the most powerful natural forces, they're not even in the same realm as the power of God. And God put that power on display. And the really cool thing is, he didn't do it in like some kind of sophomoric, you know, hey, let me show you how powerful I am. God used his power for you. It's our second takeaway this morning, that God displayed his power, not just so that his power would be seen, not just so that he would be praised, but to save. That's why God displayed his power, not just as a, wow, God is powerful, but so that everyone would see how great God is and how great his love is. That power is what he used and he left heaven. I mean, think about that for a second. Would you, would you consider leaving the best place in the universe where it is glory and perfection every second to come to a place that is filled with hurt and sadness and brokenness every second? But that's what Jesus did. And then he faced temptation even from his closest friends. And he never gave in. He was deserted by those who were nearest and dearest to him. He was even abandoned by his heavenly father. He suffered the worst punishment, the worst cruelty that humanity could unleash. And not just that, he suffered, he suffered the wrath of God. Not because of anything he had done, but because of everything we have done. 
And then he died. And it seemed like all was lost, but it was not. Because three days later, he put his power back on display. As he rose from the dead, exactly like and exactly when he had said he would do that. Not just did he conquer death, but he said beforehand he would do it. And he said, this is how it's going to go, and this is when it's going to be. And he did exactly that. Exactly. To show his power. His power to save. God wants you and me to put our confidence and to find our strength in him and in his power that he has shown to save you. See, we need to have our, our confidence and our strength there because we're up against an enemy that, that we don't really grasp, that's far worse than we can even imagine. It's what he describes in the next verses from Ephesians 6. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, the battle we're fighting is not for our salvation, it's because of our salvation. And it's a battle that, that we don't even often see. It's against the worst enemy we can imagine. Somebody far more powerful, far more devious, far more dangerous than we realize. It's against the devil. Now, the devil has lost. Jesus won. He conquered. He defeated him. The war is over, but, but the residuals of the battle are, are kind of still going, right? I mean, we know it. We're living in it. And the devil, well, he doesn't want to go out quietly. He wants to go in a blaze of glory. And he wants as many Christians to go with him as possible. Now, he knows that he can't overpower God and take you away. And so he does what he can to get you to tell God, no thanks. And to turn away from God and abandon God. And that's why his attacks are so dangerous. Because he knows that, you know, temptation, if you see it coming... Well, we can find our, our shelter, our protection in God. We can flee from temptation like Jesus tells us to. But if we don't see it coming, it's a lot harder, isn't it? And when he can use the people who we usually feel the safest with, our friends, our family, to, to hit us from the blind side, wow, that can really be effective. And his attacks... Those are dangerous. They're dangerous to our faith. See, what God wants us to understand in these verses is the battles you're fighting, they're not just against that rotten human being that you work with that just, oh, I don't even want to be anywhere in the same building and yet I have to be. And they just frustrate me and, and annoy me and antagonize me and, and make my skin crawl sometimes. The battle that you're fighting is not just against the person at work or at school who just tries to, to wrap you up in gossip all the time. The battle you're fighting is not against even your, your spouse or your kids or your parents who frustrate you or annoy you, right? Your battle isn't against them. It's not against flesh and blood. 
Your battle is against the temptation that the devil uses them to attack you with. Your battle is against Satan himself. And it's a battle that you and I, by ourselves, we can't win. And that's a really important truth to know and to recognize. Because if we're foolish enough to think, you know what, God, I got this one. We are putting ourselves in a very spiritually dangerous situation. God wants us to trust him, to have this unusual confidence, not in ourselves, but in him and his strength and his power. And to remind us of that in an ongoing way, he then lists this armor that he gives us, this, this equipment that he gives to us to put on. And he uses the, the picture of what an, a Roman soldier would have worn. Right? Rome in Paul's day was, was the superpower. Everybody knew what a Roman soldier looked like and wore. And Paul uses this description of their armor in a spiritual way to describe how God equips us to fight against temptation, to, fight, to find our strength and our confidence in, in God. So look at what he says in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and that's not a day at the end of time, but that's any day that's evil, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't usually think of a belt as armor. I don't think most soldiers would in, in modern armies, right? But this was different in, in Paul's day in the Roman army. Think of the largest Texas belt buckle you've ever seen, and then multiply it by about 10. It was huge. It was a giant leather belt with a giant metal buckle. And the reason it was huge was not because the belt wasn't to hold your pants up. The belt was to protect your vital organs. And notice what God says, this armor for us, it's the belt of truth. And what does God want us to do? He wants me to wrap myself in truth all of the time. Have you ever gotten caught up in a lie and had kind of a stomach ache? This, this knot in your stomach because you, you got swept into this deception and now what do I do? It's kind of funny that God describes protecting your internal organs, your guts, the things that get twisted in knots by lies and deception. And he says protect them with truth. Be honest. Be truthful. Have integrity in everything that you say and that you do. And above all that, wrap yourself up in not just truth, but in the truth, right? Which Jesus said, God's word is truth. Wrap yourself up in the absolute truth of God and his word. Don't get caught up like, like Jesus rebuked those, those Jewish leaders in his day for for falling into getting caught up in tradition or human ideas. But stand firm, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult, hold on to, cling to the truth, the whole truth. 
and nothing but the truth of God's word. Wrap yourself up in it every day. The second piece of armor then is with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This is a piece of armor that God has given you. And he gave it to you when you came to a baptismal font like this. And he made you his child. And he stripped you of that sinful clothes that that you were wearing. And instead, he wrapped you up in the perfection, in the righteousness of Jesus, who lived the perfect life in your place. And he says, you've got this righteousness that lives in you because God lives in you. Don't don't pull that armor aside and expose your heart because the world is filled with danger that wants to attack your heart. And he says, no, 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 I've given you this, this righteousness, this perfection, living in you by faith that protects your heart from the dangers of life and the dangers of the world. And that's what he wants us to remember about the armor. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's God living in me. It's the perfection of Jesus, and he is protecting my heart. What a beautiful thing that God sees, not this broken shell inside, but he sees Christ and his perfection. The next piece of armor is from verse 15. He goes on to say, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So along with like this upper body armor, he's got this armor for our feet. It's the gospel of peace. The the word gospel literally means good news. The good news is that Jesus is your Savior. That is the gospel of peace. And God tells us he gives that to us to enable us to, to run. To run away from temptation, absolutely. But you know what happens probably more often than running from temptation? It's to run when we fall into temptation. Because our feet by nature are afraid of God when we fail. And they want to run from him. But the gospel of peace enables us in repentance to run to God. And to say, Lord, forgive me to find our strength in him, even though we know we're undeserving. It enables us to to avoid the snares that the devil devil sets for us, the snares that, that God doesn't love you, that he can't forgive that. Oh, yes, he can. And the gospel of peace leads me back to him again and again because I know he loves me and forgives me. See, the gospel of peace is the next piece of armor, that the gospel of peace helps me move through life without fear, confident of my salvation and my forgiveness. In verse 16, Paul says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. See, a Roman shield wasn't just like this little circle thing like a Viking maybe would carry. It was about the size of a door. It was huge. And the reason was when the the enemy archers from a distance would fire their arrows, they could duck down behind the door and be completely protected. 
fully shielded, literally. God says, your faith is your shield. Not because the strength of the faith, because of what you trust in. Because trusting in God and his promises means that you have everything that God promises. You have his forgiveness, his love, his grace. You know that he works for your good in all things. The hard part is the devil says, no, he doesn't. We know that. We know that from our own lives, but, but look throughout history, right? That's the first temptation. The Garden of Eden, that's what the devil said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Are you sure? Because the devil attacks in sneaky and devious ways. And he launches these flaming arrows to hurt and cripple and wound you. And so God says, take up the shield of faith. Faith that trusts in God and in his promises. Because that shield, faith that trusts God and trusts his promises, protects you and me from the dangers of doubt and fear. And so you can say, you know what, devil, I'm, I'm safe behind this shield. Not because it's my faith, not because my faith is so strong, but because my faith trusts in God. And he beat you, so go away. Take your arrows somewhere else. Because my God loves me. My God saved me. My God forgives me. And my God is going to bring me home. And then he says, take up the helmet, take the helmet of salvation. So with all of this body armor, he says one, one more thing, protect your, not just your head, but your mind. And there's a reason for that, that the helmet of salvation calms my troubled mind. Because we get these thoughts in our head of fear. And the devil uses worry and anxiety, and he attacks, doesn't he? And, and once they get in there, they can just run rampant. And God says, put on the helmet of salvation. Protect your mind because you have the greatest thing ever. You have salvation. You have what no one can take from you. The dangers, the challenges that you face day in and day out, who's got them? God does. And he saved you from them all. And so protect your mind with that truth that you are saved from the worst that could possibly happen and for the best. Eternity with him. And finally, he comes to the last piece of armor and he says, taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here's your lone offensive weapon, dear Christian. You only need one. It's the word of God. Do you remember when Jesus, God himself, was tempted by the devil in the desert? Do you, do you know that account from early on in his earthly ministry? And the devil came at him and, and attacked him, didn't he? And he said, do this and I will give you this. And humanly speaking, they're, they're amazing temptations, right? To, to have power and authority and fame and all of these good things. And Jesus, every single time the devil attacked well, Jesus, Jesus fought back, and he did it using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He quoted a Bible verse, and he said, no, 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 Satan, God says this. And he attacked with the truth. 
Not a sword, not a bow, but the word of God. And that's what God wants you and me to do as well. To use the sword of the Spirit because it's the best weapon against the temptations I face. Now it's really important to understand then a weapon is only good if you know how to use it. A soldier in the army that goes into the battle zone can have weapons, but if they've never used them, if they haven't practiced, if their skills are not sharp, it doesn't do that much good, does it? And that's why you see those soldiers training regularly, even daily, with their weapons to know how to use them and how to use them well. And God says, hey, you've got a weapon to fight temptation, but don't just have the weapon on the shelf in your house somewhere. Use the weapon. Train in the Word of God. Study it. Learn it. Get to know it so that when the devil attacks, you can say, uh-uh, I know what God says. God says this. Finally, he gets to the last, the last verses of our text, and he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Finally, Paul tells us, you, dear Christian, you have the greatest advantage. You have the greatest weapon, tool in your battle against the devil's temptation, against life's challenges, and that's prayer. Because you have a direct line to the commander-in-chief of the universe. It's, it's communication that never, never drops, never doesn't go through. He always answers. He always hears. And see, that's what prayer is. It's our last takeaway this morning, that prayer is simply communication with God about anything. Because that's what God said, come to me with anything, right? All kinds of prayers and requests. It doesn't have to be like this massive, earth-shaking thing. Come to me. He wants you to call on him for help, to call on him for peace, to call on him for reinforcements, to call on him and say thank you, to call on him and praise him. And he wants you to do it for yourself and for others, to come to him with the concerns and the fears and the struggles and the worries and the joys of your fellow Christians who are fighting the fight alongside of you. See, I wanted to be maverick. I'm never going to be. And that's okay because I am and I have something that is far better. And so do you. Maverick had this cool, exuding confidence, but it fell apart. It crumbled. It didn't last. But you and I have this identity as God's child and we have this strength that doesn't come from in here but it comes from it comes from our God it comes from his power and his glory and his love that saved you that protects you as you go out into the battlefield of life every day to fight against temptation and to fight against the devil and to know that the battle has been won because Jesus conquered him. Find your strength in him. Amen.
May the peace of our God, which goes beyond anything we can comprehend or even imagine, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.